0: Good morning. Would you please join with me in the blessing of reading our Savior's words? The um, scripture reading this morning is John five verses twenty-five through twenty-nine. John five twenty-five through twenty-nine. I'll be reading the English Standard Version. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Amen. Please be seated.
1: It's always a great pleasure of mine to be able to worship with you, and I count it a great opportunity to study God's Word with you as I do today. The Bible, the greatest book in all the world, teaches, guides, leads, directs, reproves, corrects, helps us, guides us all the way to eternity when followed faithfully. And I'm always very happy that I can come and be with you and study from its pages. If you're visiting with us, we encourage you to come back with us tonight 6 o'clock. Our young people will be conducting our worship service. Now I hope that you'll come and encourage them as they spend a lot of time in preparation, Thankful for Nat and the good work that he's doing with our young people, and I hope you'll come and encourage them as they lead us in our worship service together. John chapter 5 talks about one of the great events in all history. You and I, last week, we studied about one of those great events, and that was the cross of Christ. And we had several points that we made out of that particular lesson. What shall we say about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross? You and I spent several moments talking about some of the events, but the bulk of our time was devoted to the application of those events to our lives. And what application is there to make? One thing that literally lifts itself from the page is the fact that the event of the crucifixion of Jesus says, I love you. God loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus loved us so much that he willingly went and died on Calvary's cross. What a great sacrifice that was. A lot of people talk about, I love you. But God really means it in a way, in a more profound way that we can understand. And so it is with Jesus, his son. One of the greatest events of all history, crucifixion of Jesus. Also in in that lesson, we talked about the fact that God wants to forgive you. That point does not say, God just forgives you. It says He wants to forgive you. If you'll receive that forgiveness through repentance and confession of faith in Christ and by being baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, you'll receive the promise of forgiveness that the debt has been canceled and in turn you're free from the guilt of sin. And God wants that for you and it can be yours. One thing the cross teaches us and one thing the cross says is that God has a cross for us that when we become children of God, we now have a responsibility to live for God and to live the kind of life that God has taught us in the pages of the Bible. It's not a matter of us just living the way we want to live, but it is a matter of us living the way God teaches us to live so that we can be more like Him and go to that place the Bible calls heaven. But I said last week that this is one of the great events of all history. Today I'd like to follow that up with the second greatest event of all history, And that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to talk a little bit about that resurrection. And I want to ask, what does it say to us today by means of application? And by looking at these two great events, help us come to understand how much we need God and how important it is for us to follow God's divine plan for our lives. You know, there are a lot of people out there who don't believe in the resurrection. And a lot of people who don't care even if there was a resurrection. William Barclay made this particular statement. Barclay's uh, existentialist type of thinker. He wrote a Daily Bible Study series, a lot of good things said in that series, but he also said this. It doesn't matter if Jesus rose from the dead. What matter is the first century church believed that he rose from the dead. Those who have grown in their faith know we don't need a resurrected savior to live this kind of life. Well, I'd have to say to Mr. Barclay, the scripture completely disagrees with him. And when I study passages such as I've read, the first thing that comes to my mind is, what does the Bible say? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you're going to read about the resurrection of the dead. And he begins that wonderful discussion about the resurrection of the Lord and tells us more about it. I'll begin the reading at about verse 12. Now, if Christ has preached that he had been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith is also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. Sixteen. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we hoped in Christ in this life only, we're of all men most to be pitied. Paul says if there is no resurrection of the dead, then our faith is useless. And the thousands of people who died for their faith of the centuries died in vain. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then we're still in our sins. And all those sins we thought had been wiped away, washed away, are still held to our account. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then the dead are just that. They're dead and nothing more. And there is no hope for obtaining eternal life. There is no life past this one. If it is the case, hypothetically speaking, Paul says, that if there is no resurrection of the dead then the world should pity us because we believed all this time that there was a resurrection of the dead. But thanks be to God, you have 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 20. And notice what it says. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. So now our faith is not in vain. Our faith has purpose and our faith has meaning because Christ has been raised from the dead. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, Then, of course, we have hope for obtaining eternal life, that the grave is not the end, that the grave has been destroyed, and that life and eternality can be the uh, gift and the blessing of all who are faithful. All who are buried in the grave, in turn now, have this hope of eternal life. I wonder what Adam and Eve thought when they buried their son Abel. I wonder if they thought in their minds, will there be a resurrection Will we ever go back and be with him one day? Or is this all there is? All throughout eternity, people have been considering this particular matter on this side of eternity about the matter of the resurrection. And every time you and I go to a cemetery, every time you and I face a loved one who's passed, we consider this most important question Is there life after this one? Is there a resurrection? The ancients all along have asked this question. The ancient Babylonians had Marduk and they would say that a person's being judged by Marduk. Or the ancient Egyptians had an unusual way of describing life after death whereby an individual soul would be judged by 12 judges and there would be a scale there. On one side would be the weight of truth. On the other side of the scale would be the person's life. And depending upon how that scale would balance out, would depend upon whether that person goes into e- eternal condemnation and destruction or go down the River Nile and receive blessings. Pagans all through the world have had their discussion about the eternal, eternality of life and the resurrection. Even the American Indian thought of the happy hunting ground. But resurrection is not new to the children of God because the Bible's talked about it from cover to cover. You'll remember back in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse 8 where there Elisha went to the Shunammite woman and there she fed Elisha. She told her husband, let us build a room for the prophet. When he comes through, he'll have a place to stay. And they built a special room for the prophet Elisha. And he asked her, is there anything that he could do? And she mentioned the fact that they were childless. And so by that time next year, the Shunammite woman had a son. As the son grows... There one day out in the field, he complained about his pain in his head. He said, My head, my head. And his father took him back to the house, and there the boy died. The Shunammite woman immediately went after Elisha. Elisha came back and raised him from the dead. Some Bible scholars have looked at that and said, Well, the boy just swooned, or the boy just passed out. But 2 Kings chapter 8, and verse 1 makes clear. Elisha raised that young man from the dead. You see, with Christian people, the resurrection is a reality. We know that there was and is a great resurrection day. As you read from the pages of the New Testament, you might read about Jairus and his daughter, how that this official of the synagogue there came to the Lord, and yet uh, uh, servants of him came and said, Don't bother the master any further, the daughter's dead. Jesus raised the girl from the dead. You might remember the fact of John chapter 11, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. What a remarkable event that matter was. Or the the widow at Nain and her son who was dead. And all Jesus did on that occasion was to touch the coffin, and there the boy was raised from the dead. You see, resurrection is not new to Christian people. Christian people know and understand about resurrection. They realize that there are two greats events in world history. One was the death of Jesus Christ and the second was his resurrection. In fact, great miracles obtained through the life of Jesus, beginning with his very birth, in his very life, and in his very resurrection from the dead and ascension back to the Father. Turn with me to an interesting passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 9. When you look at the early apostles and the early beginning in the growth of the church, there they came upon a scene. Peter was there in Joppa, but a woman had passed away, about verse 36. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Thirty-eight. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up and called the saints and widows. He presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. That's the reading of Acts chapter 9. You see, there's the reality of the resurrection. Christian people know about it. They understand it. They've read about it. They've learned what resurrection really means. Resurrection, though, in the instances in which I have mentioned, is different from the resurrection that I'm going to talk about today. You see, what I want to talk about is what does the resurrection of Christ say? What does the resurrection of Christ say to me today? what did the cross of Christ say to me? Well, it said God loves me. It says God wants to save me and forgive me. Well, what does the resurrection of Christ say to me today? And it says a great deal. One thing I'd have to admit, though, before I continue any further, and that is the resurrections which I've recounted for you very briefly of Tabitha and of Lazarus, and uh, Jairus' daughter, the uh, the Shunammite woman that we read in 2 Kings, or here it would be uh, the widow's son of Nain. All these people who were raised back to life again would die, and die again, and will be raised again. My resurrection is going to be different from their resurrection. The resurrection that they faced was a resurrection back to life. But they had to die again. And there in turn will be raised again. But when we're raised from the dead, it'll not be to die once again. I want to understand something of the reality of our resurrection, because this is what the resurrection of Christ says to us. In John chapter 6, you're going to look at that beautiful passage of Scripture where Jesus is talking about his teaching. And many of them misunderstood the teaching of Jesus and was trying to tell them that they were to accept his teaching. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. That's John chapter 6 in the verses, verse 54. He'll be raised up on the last day. In Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 18, you have there a Bible passage which talks about two men Hymenaeus, Hymenaeus, Hymenaeus and Philetus. And these two men were teaching a false doctrine with regard to, and you're right, the resurrection. In Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 18, verse 17, And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. There is the reality of the resurrection of God's people. And one of the things that we read about it over and over again is its fact. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6 to encourage Hebrew Christians who are being tempted to fall away from the faith of God. Here, the Hebrew writer emphasizes certain fundamental matters that they should really have in their mind and in their heart so that they will go on into maturity. And he mentions these particular matters, and it comes to us in about chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, though the paragraph begins earlier. Therefore, leaving, he says, the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. And here it is, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Well, his point in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2 is that these are elementary matters that you should already know. And one of the elementary matters that we should already know is the fact that we're going to be raised from the dead and the teaching that the Bible speaks of with regard to the matter. I'd like to go back to John chapter 5 now, read a passage of Scripture out of that. Right of John chapter 5, about verse 21, we see these particular matters as Jesus mentions them for us regarding the matter of the resurrection. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom He wishes. In other words, my spirit will be resurrected from the dead to live a new Christian life. That when I'm baptized into Christ, I rise up to walk in a newness of life, which is a type of resurrection. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all who honor the Son, even as they honor the Father, he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Verse 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming, verse 28, in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life. And those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. The resurrection is a reality. It's going to happen. Just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God Almighty. You and I are going to be raised from the dead one great day. And the Bible emphasizes the point over and over again. It's reality that it is going to happen. Just as sure as you and I are here today. Just as sure as that resurrection going to take place. Let's study a little bit about it. Let's go to John chapter 11. And in John chapter 11 you have a verse there. About verse 23. There you remember this resurrection of Lazarus. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. In Acts chapter 4, you have this wonderful discussion about the preaching of the apostles. Now they'd received the miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And as they did, they went everywhere preaching the word. And what did they preach? In Acts 4 and verse 1 and 2, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. It is a reality to Christian people, and the church of the Lord preaches and teaches this great message. And Acts chapter seventeen is one of the greatest sermons ever preached, second only to the Sermon on the Mount by our Lord. There the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill. There is speaking to the intelligentsia intelligentsia of his day. And he says about verse eighteen, and also some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him. Some were saying, What would this idle babbler wish to say? Others he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities. Because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. He was telling them that Jesus was raised from the dead by the power of God. And in turn it was a matter which gospel preaching was very familiar with. In Acts chapter 23 the Apostle Paul is standing for his faith. And with regard to the matter of the council. And he realizes that the Jewish Sanhedrin is composed of Sadducees and Pharisees. When he realized he wasn't going to get a fair shake out of this crowd, he makes this particular mention in verse 6. But perceiving that one group were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, Paul began crying out in the council, Brethren, I'm a Pharisee, a son of a Pharisee, and I'm on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And you'll realize how that alienated the crowd from that point forward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you have this amazing Bible passage. It comes to us at about verse 14. Now, God has not only raised up the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. That passage came to us, 1 Corinthians 5, verse uh, 5, verse 14, and uh, chapter 6, verse 14, I should say. And in turn, the Bible is telling us that there was a first resurrection. That resurrection is when I was baptized into Christ, and I came up out of that water to walk in newness of life, a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5:17. And my soul was raised to newness of life. But there's going to be a second res- resurrection whereby my dead body is going to be raised to a new life and done so by the power of God. So with the short time that I have available to me today, I want to try my very best to explain What does the resurrection say to us? What does it mean? I believe with all my heart as well as you that Jesus died on Calvary's cross a long time ago and was buried in that garden tomb and on the third day was raised from the dead by the power of God as these passages teach. But what does that mean for me? I know Christ was raised from the dead, but what does the resurrection say to me? The resurrection tells me a great deal. It tells me the who, the when, the why, and the what. And if I can answer these particular matters from the pages of the Bible, then I'll come away with a better understanding of what the resurrection of Jesus really means. First of all, who will be raised? In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible tells us in that particular passage at about verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and will be changed. Well, it makes it very clear there that the dead's going to be raised. All who are died, all who have died, all who have lived on this earth, all who will live on this earth up until the time of the coming of the Lord, will be raised from the dead. That's the significance of our lesson text today, John chapter 5. And in that particular verse, you and I read verse 28 and 29, And I'll read it one more time. For in that particular passage, he makes it very clear who's going to be raised. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Verse 29, all are going to hear his voice and all are going to be raised on that great day of resurrection, the resurrection is a day of raising the just and the unjust. There is a passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that I'd like to turn to and read just briefly. And if you have your Bible, I hope you'll read along with me. It comes from about verse 13 through down through verse 17, verse 18, and it really answers the question not only who, but when. Because I'd like to answer that. When is this going to take place? Now, I've understood that the resurrection of Christ tells me that all are going to be raised as well. But I would like to know when it takes place. Now, the church at Thessalonica was a great congregation of God's people. There was a lot of trouble there. Paul faced a lot of difficulty while establishing the congregation. Unbelieving Jews, of course, were causing so much of the trouble. He was concerned about them. And he sent Timothy back to check on the congregation and it was a growing congregation and it was a positive maturing concern for the Lord but they had questions and one of the questions which the church of Thessalonica had is what about the end of time what about those who have died already and are dead before the coming of Christ what will it be like and what will happen to them when will they be raised Paul quells the question by answering it in verse 13 but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. And I have to pause there for a, qu- a point that breaks my heart. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. There are people out there today who have no hope. There are people out there today who are not living in hope. They're not living in hope because they've never obeyed the gospel of Christ. They're not living in hope because they have not lived the gospel as the Bible teaches. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. I'm in verse 17. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. Verse 18. Well, I've read for you this morning 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. And the Bible is answering our second question, when will it take place? It'll take place when Jesus comes again. The biblical answer is, Christ will come again, and every eye will see Him. Now, isn't that interesting in Revelation 1 and verse 7? That when Christ does come again, every eye will see Him. Well, how will that be? It'll be because the dead are raised. They're raised from the dead, both the good and the bad. John chapter 5, 28 and verse 29. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of condemnation. All will be raised. When? When? When Christ comes again, when every eye will see Him. But did you notice in that passage of John chapter 5? When will they be raised? They will hear His voice. The eye will see Him. They will hear the voice. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, When the trumpet is sounded. The trumpet talks about a day in the life of Israel in which a great event was going to occur. Maybe it was a call to war, and the sofa would be blown, and the trumpet would be sounded. Or maybe it was for a solemn assembly of the people. Or maybe it was a feast day in which the people would come and assemble themselves together to celebrate one of the great feasts authorized by God in the pages of the Old Testament. The trumpet was a call for assembly. When the trump sounds, the dead will arise. Well, when will that take place? That's going to take place when Christ comes again. And every eye will see Him, Revelation 1 and verse 7. And everyone will hear His voice, John chapter 5, 28 and 29. And everyone will hear that great angel blowing that trumpet as he puts one foot on the land and one on the sea and will herald the coming of the King. Behold, He cometh. Then is when the great day of resurrection will take place. What does the resurrection of Christ say? The resurrection of Christ says we're going to be raised. Everyone's going to be raised. And what does it say? It tells us when we're going to be raised. We'll be raised on that great day when Christ comes again. Now I'd like to ask the question why? And I'm sure you probably have mentioned that question as well. Why are we going to be raised? Why is everyone going to be raised? Well, the Bible gives the answer. In Matthew chapter 25, great Bible passages, chapter 24, chapter 25, really need to be studied together. And about verse 31, he gives us this important statement. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then will He sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him. And he will spare them, uh, separate them one from another, as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Verse 34. The why judgment will take place those that have done good unto the resurrection of life, those that have done evil unto eternal condemnation. I suppose one of the longest statements of all this matter comes to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And 1 Corinthians 15 does answer this question of why. And it's found for us in about verse 20, 24. Then comes the end, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15, 24. When he hands over the kingdom to God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power, then comes the end. Why? Why this resurrection? The kingdom of Christ will be handed over to God the Father as king over his kingdom, the New Testament church. That great day of resurrection and judgment will be a day of judgment upon all and handing the kingdom of Christ over to God the Father, to be with Him. And He will tabernacle, He will dwell with His people forever and forever. Revelation chapter 7. Now there's a false notion out there that Jesus came to this earth and He failed in His purpose. And that He went back to heaven and that He will come back to earth and reign for a thousand years. And then He'll set up His kingdom. But that notion is a false notion. And it's nowhere taught in the pages of the New Testament. The why of the resurrection is that Jesus reigns over his kingdom now. And in turn, Acts 2 told us about that and taught us that important lesson. And when he comes again, one of the great purposes of the resurrection will be to take the people of God and carry them home to be with God forever and forever. One of my favorite passages along this line would have to be 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'll read it just briefly because I won't have time to make comment. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. We desire that great day whereby we will be with God. Now, one of the questions I always hear, and I have to admit it's one of the questions I have in my mind, what does the resurrection say? One of the things the resurrection says is who will be raised, and all of us are included. One thing the resurrection says, when will it happen when Christ comes again? One of the things the resurrection of Christ tells us is why it will happen, so that we will be judged and carried on to glory for those who have been obedient, faithful to God. But one question that keeps coming up in my mind and often is raised, what will that body be like? And so I want to study with you today as best I possibly can. The longest discussion on the matter comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And you read from about verse 35 on down through 58. Now, I'm not going to read that whole section because of my time. But what I would like to do is pick out a passage or two from the section make brief comment about it, and thus have the biblical answer to the question, what kind of body will I have? Well, in this particular instance, the Bible tells me about verse 36, you you fool, 1 Corinthians 15, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or of something else. Well, he told us in 36 and 37 that as much difference as there is from a kernel of corn and the full mature stalk of corn, so there is that much difference between our physical body and the glorified body which we shall receive. Is there some continuity of identity between the two? Yes, there is. I can see some continuity of identity between the kernel of corn and the full stalk of corn. There is some identity there. But it's totally different. You would never get the idea if all you saw was just the kernel of corn what the full stalk of corn, mature stalk of corn, would look like or what it would be like. There's that much difference between the kernel and the full stalk and the physical body, and the glorified body which I shall have in Jesus Christ. One thing that I know, it'll be like His glorified body. But before I leave this passage of Scripture, let me read another verse or two. The next one is found for us in verse 38. There I'll read 38 through 42. But God gives it a body, just as He wished, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. All flesh is not the same flesh. There is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. (coughs) There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. So also (coughs) is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is a spiritual body fit for eternity. Different bodies have their own means of identification. But the spiritual body is going to be a body that God has prepared for eternity. Is there some continuity between the two? I believe that there is. Whereby we will sit on the river bank of time and talk to Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is still Isaac. Abraham. Isaac is still Isaac, but now they're in a glorified body. They're in a body that is fit for eternity, and so we will have some means of identification, but yet it will be fit for everlasting life. Another point, verse 57 and verse 58. "But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Because you will have and do have this great promise of eternity, because you have and will have this spiritual body which God has prepared fit for eternity for you, don't be afraid to live for God. Don't be afraid to work for God. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. When he says be immovable, he means don't be nudged away from your faith. You be faithful and devoted and dedicated because you've got a great promise. What does the resurrection of Christ say? It says not only that Christ was raised from the dead by the power of God, it says you're going to be raised from the dead by the power of God. And because you have this great promise of a glorified body which retains some kind of identity of its own, still, don't hold back. Live for Christ. Be faithful. Repent of the sin. Become the faithful child of God if you're not one. And I urge you to do it today before it's too late. Two of the greatest events, I say the greatest events in history, the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of the body of Jesus Christ. And it says to me, I've got a spiritual body that's going to be raised, fit for eternity, and I'll be with God forever and forever. And brethren, just as sure as I stand before you today, I believe that. And I'm going to enjoy that one great day, if faithful unto death, and God's amazing grace. Will you not go there also? Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?